We are going to examine the resurrection today. That should be no surprise, but we're going to look at it maybe a little differently. I want to look at how the resurrection changes everything else about your life. And so that's where we're going to be looking. We'll uh, do that in a moment, but let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, as we approach your word, this resurrection day, we rejoice in the resurrection. We want to contemplate its meaning and we want to live in its light. So give us light, for we need light. In Jesus' name, amen. Easter sets our lives on a whole new journey. It adds a destination, if you will. I don't know whether you use a, an Android or an iPhone, but if you use an Android, it's, a, it's your Google navigation system, an iPhone, you have to say Siri. But for me, I, I, I say navigate to, and I give it a destination, right? And I, I, I tell it where to go. Well, Easter adds a destination to Google Maps, if you will, that was not there before. Imagine uh, a navigation system, a GPS navigation system for life, the journey of life. Prior to Easter, we could say navigate to a better life or navigate to a good marriage, loving children and a decent retirement, navigate to the American dream, navigate to whatever it is you want to fill that in with. And although it would do its best to to give us a a journey that looked as much as possible like it was on track, the the program code has an underlying default. The program code is programmed so that every journey goes to the same destination. Every journey leads to death. Navigate to life automatically becomes navigate through some great scenery along the way to keep them distracted from the fact that they're actually going to death. The cemetery. I love cemeteries. I do. I think they're beautiful. And I love them because they remind us of that reality. We live in a culture that wants to eliminate them, that wants to, let's just make sure everybody's put away somewhere. Just We don't need a burial plot. We can hide that out of sight, out of mind. Death was the end of the journey prior to Easter. And, and the, code, the code had no way to program around it or beyond it. Couldn't go around it, couldn't go beyond it. The tomb was the end of the journey. To put it in biblical terms, the wages of sin is death. Or in the day you eat, you die. Or if you just want to look at the whole book of Genesis, which is fascinating, for human life in the book of Genesis, begins in a garden, in the very last verse, it's in a box, a coffin. And that's the story of human life. That's why Jesus, when he was joined with us in our humanity, was set on a journey. The day he was born in Bethlehem, we might back up, the day the Holy Spirit conceived him in the womb of Mary... That journey began, and its destination was sure. If he was going to be joined to humanity, his destination had to be the same as our destination, and that is death. The tomb. And it did. Death is where Easter morning begins. 
The tomb. That's where Easter morning begins. Lifeless. But it is not where it ends. Easter adds an entirely new destination to the program code. It it adds an entirely new destination to the journey. Not death, but life. Death, yes, but life still. Listen to to what Peter said on the day of Pentecost. He said, this man, Jesus was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, did what? Put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But notice the next words. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then in chapter 3, Peter again. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Note the consistency. You killed put to death, but God raised him. Acts 10. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. This is in Cornelius' house, Peter again. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. Death, but life. God raised him from the dead. Acts 13. This time it's Paul preaching. When they had carried out all that was written about him, speaking of Jesus, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Easter adds an entirely new destination to the program code. When they laid him in the tomb, they had every reason to believe that Jesus had arrived at the final destination. The only destination. For up until that point, it was the only destination. But now, because of Easter, the program code now understands navigate to life in and through Jesus Christ. So today I want to explore that. I want to explore that. I want to explore how the resurrection changes our journey. And I want to explore it under three headings. And if you've got a bulletin inside that, you'll you'll see a handout which covers the notes. And you'll see the three headings there. The, The first today is the destination of death. I want to pause and explore this destination that was the only destination we had prior to Easter. And we need to understand it. And then... I want to look at this. The, the, the stops on the journey remain the same. And then the third heading is how we travel is entirely transformed. So we'll look at it under those three headings. And, and so we begin under the destination of death. When I say prior to Easter, we really had only one destination and that was death. I do not simply mean that, that one day we will die. Yes, that's true. That's kind of the exclamation point after a long sentence though. Death is much bigger than just the one day you die. In the words of Karl Barth, death is the great no, the shadow that hangs over your human life and accompanies all its movements. It's the judgment which reads you. Your life, or what you think is life, has no meaning and cannot last. Your life is rejected life. Does that describe, if you're a believer, I'll say your experience before Christ? Does that describe your life? Is, have, is that your past life? Is that your present life? Or have you not yet figured out that that really is your life? That's the destination and the journey of every man prior to Easter. The shadow that hangs over our human life. Death is that shadow that, that hangs over our human life declaring 
No. It's like the cloud of dirt that follows Pigpen around, swirling all around him in the Snoop, the Peanuts cartoon strip. You familiar with that? Pigpen? Hey, everywhere he goes, there's just, just a cloud of dirt everywhere he goes, right? It's the dirt that we all share because each of us inherit it and we all own it. We, we share it because we got it from Adam. In the day he ate, he died, and everyone in his line. So we share it. We inherit it from Adam. But we also own it because each of us have gladly joined in the rebellion. Each of us have gladly joined in rejecting God. It's the wages of sin. It's the curse which came on the human race that frustrates the very purpose for which we were made. Instead of fruitfulness, it's thorns and thistles. I try my hardest and I keep getting thorns and thistles. Instead of peace, it's a life filled with power struggles between nations on the one hand and every married couple on the other. This power struggle that goes on. Apart from Christ, the curse has power over our lives. It's like Goliath. Remember the giant Goliath? Everybody's hiding in their, the ditches and hiding in a way. The giants come and they're hiding. It's like Goliath. The giant that we cannot conquer. We needed someone who was able to defeat the giant, the strong man, the curse of death. Apart from the resurrection, our lives have no meaning. So it's the shadow that death is a shadow that hangs over our human life, declaring no. But apart from the resurrection, death tells us that our lives have no meaning. You see, the best we can muster up is eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. That's the best meaning we can muster up. Now, the American version of that is to make sure that you, get a, that you have a great retirement and you do everything you want to do. Fulfill everything on your bucket list. Same thing. Same thing. But if the only meaning is the moment, if the only meaning is that experience, that's it, that, that's the meaning, that's all there is then deep down all of us understand, our our lives demonstrate that we understand, that there is no meaning. We, We can't escape the sense that we exist for something greater than that. We were made to be in God's image, representatives of His presence in the world. And sin has marred and destroyed that image in us. Too often we represent only ourselves. We represent the anti-God. Whatever puts ourselves in the place of God. What, what does the quote mean when it says, Your life is rejected life? It means that because of guilt, and the, the consequent shame that comes with our guilt, we, we live with the gnawing sense that we are unacceptable to God. This kind of, it's just, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. I'm unacceptable. It's it's chasing me, this guilt, this shame. It's this gnawing sense. Prior to the resurrection, that was our only option. Every human, except possibly a sociopath, every human is aware that they not only do things they know to be wrong, but that they are prone to do things that they know to be wrong. 
but that they're inclined to do things that they know to be wrong. And it's not just those raised in a Christian home. I mean, somebody, some people say, well, that's just because you're raised in a Christian home and you're told that you're not supposed to. But, but no, actually, history tells us otherwise. It was true in Rome before Christianity ever came along. And so you had all these laws trying to tell people, no, you've got, you got to stop that. Because they knew there's something terribly wrong, but yet they kept living to the laws were as useless for them as anyone else. It didn't work. And we find societies, cultures that have never heard anything about the gospel or Christianity, and yet they all have that same sense that there are, there's this code, there's this standard which we all know that we ought to do, but we fail to do it. In fact, we quite delight not doing it. It begs the question as to why we think it was wrong since we like it so much. It reveals that we all recognize that there's a standard outside of ourselves which we fail to live up to. Deep down, we know why our life is rejected life, but we can't do anything about it. Sociologists have found cultures where they, that, you know, they get to discovering their religion and they, these, these sort of what we would have thought of as primitive religions will actually reveal to them, oh, no, no, we know there's a, a God who made everything, but we don't worship him because we know we're not accepted by him and we don't know how, what to do about that. So we worship this lesser God because, well, at least we know what to do about that. We, we haven't got a solution for this. Maybe they're not as primitive as we thought they were. Does any of this describe you, whether it's your past or your present? These things that I've described, that describe death and all that comes with it, they're the first fruits of death. They're they're the guarantee that our journey is going to end in the agony of death. If the wages of sin is death, then all these aspects are just paychecks along the way. You know, when you get a job, they, they go over with you your, your compensation package, right? Yeah, your compensation package. Now, of course, some compensation, if you're, if you're working at Wendy's and it's part-time and you're a teenager, well, the compensation package is, okay, you're going to get eight fifty an hour, whatever the wage is, I don't know what it is, you know, but whatever they offer you, you're going to get that for every hour you work. That's it. That's the end of the compensation package. But, but in, in a full-time job or one that's a little more, you know, further along, you, what do you get? You get, well, here, here's, here's your wage, whatever that's going to be. It, it's this much per year or this much per hour. And, and here's your health plan and here's some life insurance and here's what's going to happen if this happens. You get hurt on the job and you get all these different things. This is your compensation pack, package. And so every... Two weeks when you get your paycheck, you, you look at that. What is that? Well, that's just, that's just a deposit uh, toward it. That's part and parcel of the end piece. It's the first fruits. All these other things are like that paycheck. But when you, when you add it up and you look at the sum total of the comp plan, all the benefits, everything together, you know what the comp plan is? Death. That's it. Looked a little better in the paycheck. Death. Easter adds a whole new destination to the journey. Life. Death, but life. The destination transforms the journey. That leads us to the second part. You say, thank God, I was really getting tired of the first part. Yes, I know, but let's wait till we get to the third part. It's really good. So, you know, 
Got to get there one step at a time. The stops on the journey remain the same. Now, maybe you're paying attention and you're thinking to yourself, well, I thought you said the destination changes everything, but now you're saying the stops on the journey remain the same. So how can it possibly change everything if the stops remain the same? By the way, if you're not big on metaphors, let me help out here a little bit. The journey, that's the journey of life. That's your life. That's my life. It's what we do. We're on a journey. We're going somewhere. We're not static. The stops on the way, that's all the events in life. That's the stuff of life. You get married, you get sick, you get well, you buy a house, the house burns down. All that's the, the stops on the way. Everything, it's the stops on the way. And maybe you think to yourself, if, if, if the stops on the journey remain the same, how, how in the world does it change? Well, hang on a moment, we're going to get there. It's a good question. But to understand how the resurrection transforms the journey, you first have to understand that the stops on the journey remain the same. Now, What do I mean by that? I certainly do not mean that they entirely remain the same. They're unaltered in any way. I don't mean that. Some stops change. Okay? For instance, if you come to Christ, you may not end up in prison because you might not end up robbing the bank or whatever else you were going to do that would have landed you in prison. So that stop changes, right? On the other hand, maybe you're going to be a rich businessman with three wives, three divorces, and estranged children. Now you're a poor missionary with one wife and three kids. Well, some stops changed, right? That's a big difference. But many stops do not change. You see, if on the journey to death it included being born into a broken, dysfunctional family... My kids are thinking, that oh, you're talking about our family now. No, but... Now that you're on your way to life, guess what? You're still born into that same family. You still got all the dysfunction that goes with it. It's part of who you are. If the journey would have included cancer or disability, it very likely will still include cancer and disability. If the journey included being hit by a drunk driver and paralyzed, it could very likely still include being hit by a drunk driver and paralyzed. I want us to be clear that the Scripture nowhere promises that believers are exempt from suffering. I want us to be clear on that. Yes, some stops change for a variety of reasons to include God's supernatural intervention. But by the way, God supernaturally intervenes in the lives of unbelievers and keeps them from harm as well. So we, we can't necessarily evaluate all of that as well. I was a believer if I wasn't a believer. No, it might be the same for both. He's good to all. Many stops do not change. But, now here's where the change begins. How we process those stops is entirely transformed. The purpose of the stops, the events in life, it is completely transformed. Paul tells the Romans in chapter 8, he says, Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. Well, that hasn't changed, has it? Body was dead before, body is dead now. Right? That doesn't seem to have changed. Right, that hasn't changed. The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is 
life because of righteousness. So, when Christ is in you, your body is still dead. It is still mortal, which means it is subject to death. But life, eternal life, is on the inside, the unseen side of life, where the Spirit dwells. Instead of everything working toward death, you see, it's that, that, that everything in life is that... It's death coming to get you. Incipient death. It's encroaching upon you. Instead of that, now, and this is what Paul's going to go on to say in the next verse, and we'll read it in a moment, now everything is incipient life. It's coming to get you, but it's life now. Life is after you. It's encroaching upon you. Listen to how Paul says it in the next verse. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Since, just reworded a little bit, since the one who raised Jesus from death is in you, instead of death working its way thoroughly into your life, life will now work its way thoroughly into your life. Instead of death working its way thoroughly into you, life will work its way thoroughly into you. Even your body, which is still subject to death, your mortal body, life is going to work its way into it. In fact, later in the same chapter, Paul goes on to say that all the stuff that was producing death and disintegration in your life, now God will cause all of those things to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So, what was destructive now produces something good. It changes everything. The Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and programs you for a new destination, life. The program code for your life has been rewritten. It's no longer a curse. It's now a blessing. Amen. Paul says it differently to the Corinthians. I think I drank all of that. Okay. (laughs) For our light and momentary troubles, and note that word troubles because I'm going to talk about that word in a minute. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Trouble sounds neutral. You know, we have troubles. That's neutral, right? Maybe I'm troubled. Maybe something's troubling me. I don't know, but I've got troubles. Suffering, we could say our light and momentary suffering. Well, suffering describes our subjective experience of it. That's how I'm experiencing it. It's suffering. So what I'm doing is a result of these troubles, if you will. Probably the best word for the translation here is afflictions. Afflictions. A number of translations use it. I think it's the best. Um, Affliction is something from the outside of us that afflicts us. It weighs us down. It's, It's pressing down on us. It's pressing in on us. It attacks us on every front. Affliction. Now, the result of affliction is suffering, right? And altogether, you could call it trouble, but 
It's this stuff that's coming at me. The affliction, which used to be a weight hanging on our lives, weighing us down, is now, notice this turn of phrase that Paul uses, is now light and momentary. Light and momentary. What used to lead to the tomb in agony now works for us life forever. You see, it was such a weight because it was all, all it was was just more confirmation that we're headed to death. But now, it's actually working something on the other side of the tomb, life, that's going to be so good that it outweighs whatever it is that we're losing here. So what seemed like great loss now seems hardly like anything by comparison to how great the glory will be. Now, truth be told, we have to see that by faith now, right? One day we'll know it for sure. We'll feel it. We'll experience it. We'll live it. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything about the journey. Even in those aspects of the journey that appear to remain the same, where the stops are the same. It changes everything about the journey, even where the stops are the same, where, where I got the disease that I would have gotten, but now I've got it. It still changes everything about that. The same affliction that was merely a foretaste of the grave now lays up something beyond the grave. The purpose of every experience, these various stops, the purpose of every experience is transformed. Let me illustrate it another way. Before this entirely new destination was possible, prior to Easter, children could only give parents gray hair and wear them down. That was it. I mean, you get a little bit of joy along the way, but, but, but that was it. Now, they may still wear us out. They will give us gray hair. But they're transforming us and making us more glorious. You know, when we first had children, and I won't, Stephanie, tell them how long ago that was because that might, you know, give something away. But, but when we first had children, we used to think that, that God gave us children so we could train them up in the ways of the Lord. And there, there's truth in that, right? That's biblical. That was the only part of the biblical we understood. There's this other part that we discovered along the way. And that's that God gave us children to train us up in the way that we should go. <laughs> yeah, of course, those laughing have had children. You've learned that, right? I mean... They train you up, right? There's, there's something that God's working in you. It isn't just gray hair and tiredness. It's, it's God's changing me and He's working me into the image of Christ and He's laying up an eternal weight of glory. Changes everything. Because of the resurrection, your life no longer has a shadow that hangs over it declaring no. It has a sign declaring Yes. The wages of sin may be death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Instead of a curse, you are now returned to the blessing of God that says, Be fruitful and increase. Instead of thorns and thistles, now there is the fruit of the Spirit. Instead of a life filled with power struggles between married couples, husbands love their wives, wives submit to their husbands, and parents don't exasperate their children. The curse no longer has power over our lives. Goliath, the strong man, has been defeated. Death has been defeated. Just as the boy who, David, who couldn't fit into the king's armor, was too weak and too scrawny, and his only weapon was a little slingshot, 
that he used to scare off wild animals. Just as he defeated the mighty giant, so too the man from Podunk, Nazareth, weak and despised, with only a cross on which he died, defeated your mighty giant, death. Instead of a life with no meaning, we are returned to the very purpose for which we were created. We are being restored into the image of God and become His agents in the world. Your life is no longer rejected life, for your guilt is erased and your shame has been washed away. And we realize that we may jump up and down like that fellow we talked about last week at the courtroom when he found out he was released with joy. The stops on the journey often remain the same, but the destination transforms the journey by changing what each event produces in you. Life, not death. What each event produces is entirely transformed. Life, not death. But there is still more. That leads us to our third point. How we travel is entirely transformed. Through the resurrection of Jesus, our destination is changed from death to life. Our journey is transformed because the purpose and meaning of everything is radically changed. But also, how we travel... What we intend to do on the journey is equally transformed. Indeed, it must be transformed. We see this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Note the resurrection, passed from death to life. That's the effect of Jesus' resurrection. Now we have passed, those who believe in him, from death to life. We've been raised in him because we love each other. This verse is actually where this sermon started. I saw that verse and I realized we've got to get from the tomb to this. You've got to get from the tomb to this because that's the intended effect of Easter. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Back to the tomb. Don't miss the connection to Easter. Whoever believes in Jesus, John tells us in his gospel, has already made the change from death to life. His resurrection is our resurrection. This happens when we are united with him in baptism. Baptism is a picture of our union with Christ. First, we are joined with his death through faith in Jesus on the cross. The judgment on our life, the great no that hung over our life, His undeserved judgment, when we put our faith in Him, becomes our deserved judgment. We die in Him. That's the payment for our sin. And in baptism, we are now buried with Him. Acknowledgement that we are utterly dead. And then we are raised with Him to new life. Resurrection. You see that in Romans 6, 3 through 5. Think about it this way. Baptism is like changing trains. We're, We're all born into this world on a train, if you will. A train headed in the to the same destination, death. In baptism, we join Christ in His death. In other words, we get on the train to death and we allow His death to be our death. We, we, we get to the destination in Him. 
And being dead, we are then raised and put on a different train. One that has a different destination. It's headed to life. Because we're on a new train, then, whatever else we do on the trip, that train is headed to life. We, we, we might be sitting up in the dining car enjoying, enjoying nice meals. We might, be, we might be in the sleeper car having a nap. We, we might be back in that car where everybody's kind of crammed together. Or maybe we jumped on without a ticket and we're hiding in a cargo uh, uh, truck you know, along the way. And we're hi- hiding out. But either way, we get to the same destination, life. Previously, we may have been going to death, and it didn't matter how we were traveling. You still get to the same destination. Now we're going to life, and your, your traveling accommodations may not change. But where you're going is changed entirely. And therefore, even if you die while you're on the train, it doesn't matter. No need to fear because you're headed to life. You're headed to life. The stops don't change. You're still actually going to land in the cemetery, in the tomb, but it's not your final resting place. We go beyond that. How do we know that this crossing over has occurred? This union with Christ in death and resurrection, how do we know it has occurred? Because we love each other. That's what John says. We know we have changed destinations. We, we know that our journey is going somewhere other than death because our life is altered. The stops may remain the same, but our life has changed. Instead of living for self and seeing others as a tool for serving oneself, we now love one another as brothers and sisters. Now, what is love? What does it mean to love one another? Well, first John defines love for us. He says, this is how we know what love is in verse 16. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. You say, well, I thought we were headed for life. Now you're saying we're going to lay down our life. Well, what's up with that? How do I head for life and lay down my life? Well, that's just it. We're on the train going to life, so you can lay down your life all the time. You're still going to land in life. In fact, it'll be greater life the more you lay your life down, the more life you have. That's the very point. We are joined with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. But now we follow him. Our destination is secure. So we're free to lay down our life. It it won't end in death. You see, baptism, it not only pictures our union with Christ at that moment where we come to know him. That picture is also the picture of the rest of our life in Christ. If you go back, the earliest remains they have of these early house churches, it goes back into the second century A.D. In these early house churches, they, 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 they really used the, the, the nicest home that anybody in the church had because it had the biggest amount of space to fit as many people as possible. And, and so they would use these, and they would begin to, to really transform those places into worship places. And one of the things that was early added on was that you would walk in the front, and there's, there's a, a, a tomb-shaped, sometimes, other times, cross-shaped, other times they were octagonal, they all had different meanings uh, related to this, but, but you, right at the entryway was this baptismal that you would get buried in and raised in, and when you came along, so every time you showed up for worship, you're reminded of the day that you died and were raised. But that's a picture of our whole life, and that's why we need to be reminded of it, because our whole life is, is I lay down my life, 
he raises me up. I laid down my life, he raises me up. It's, it's a series of deaths and resurrections until that day when we are raised in him finally once and for all. Without Christ, all we get is a series of deaths and more deaths and more deaths until that day when we're just buried in no glory in that. Only the agony of death. Baptism pictures the rest of our life because we're following Jesus. Where did he go? He went to a cross. He was on a journey to the cross, but he was not stopping there. He was going through to the right hand of God. We're on a journey to the cross, but we're not stopping there. We're going to be raised in him in heavenly places. Then John makes sure that we understand this Love one another very specifically. What does it mean that we love one another? He wants it to be very specific. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Now, we don't have to say a lot to explain this, but we do need to give it a little context that John would have understood that we, we have a different context that maybe skews it a bit for us. I, I want to I be quite clear. John could not imagine a day when every need in the world could be flashed in front of your eyes through a commercial or via social media on a daily or weekly basis. He lived in a day when your brother or sister had a finite boundary. It was a man on the other side of the road that needed my care. It was a brother or sister in our gathering that was hungry or needing clothes. In other words, he did not live in a day, John could not conceive of a day like we have where where in the course of a week, you've, you've been burdened with the problems of the entire world. You, you know that you are personally responsible for making sure that every child in a third world country, for that matter, continent, is dependent upon you to make sure they eat. And so that no matter how much, how much you do, you're constantly with this nagging sense that it's not enough. Now, in their day, they... they the needs were really immense and, and real, but they were at least around them. They could touch them, see them, feel them. Now, they were maybe as inclined not to do anything about them as we are, not doing anything about needs today, but the point is, is it was finite. It was graspable. You know, today we're made to feel guilty because dogs are getting put to sleep because nobody wants them. We need to do something to save all of them on top of all the children in third world countries. I love animals, don't get me wrong. But there's a level to which we, just, we get overburdened with this sense of guilt. So, I want to at least clear that issue up and say that that's not what we're talking about, this global guilt. I'm, 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 I'm talking about the real needs that we interact with in, in real life around us. It required in John's day and it requires in our day very real personal involvement that will cost us. It's not just stroking a check, though that's part of it. And there are people we're going to know that go to other places and we're going to support them to get there so that they can do personal meet needs personally and engage with people and help them. Today, if we're going to transform the world, we've got to start locally. In fact, we've got to do it locally. We will transform the world when we be the church here. And when we are the church here, yes, like the church in Asia Minor sent help to Jerusalem, there will be other needs that we're made aware of and But we do those things, but it starts locally. We have to be the church here before we can ever expect to export that anywhere else. And there's plenty of needs here. Don't kid yourself. 
But, but this, call, this calls us to live in a way of love that is really rather clear. It's, it's hard to miss. If I have material possessions, see my brother or sister in need, don't have pity on them. By the way, having pity on them is not just feeling bad about them. It's doing something about the need. Think of it this way. Like, you're probably familiar with the radio commercial. I am, so much so that I could just write this from straight memory. I didn't have to look it up and do it word for word. Life is about the dash. The dash is the line on the tombstone between the date of birth and the date of death. That's your life. In other words, born here, died here, and the dash, that's your life. Day of birth, date of death. And the commercial goes on to explain how this financial planner who's paying for the ad is going to make sure that your dash is everything it could possibly be. Why? Well, because the, the ad recognizes destination death. It presumes that you can do nothing about it, and it sells you on doing everything you can to make the dash wonderful. It fails to tell you about all the things out of your control that can fill the dash with trouble. Now, listen, Christianity is not about making the the dash miserable. That is not the goal of Christianity. But it offers something much greater than an either-or, miserable or happy dash. And it offers something so much better than either of those. Or finding some balance between them. That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity says life is about what lies beyond the grave marker. The dash is about how to make what's beyond the grave marker even greater. Everything in the dash is supposed to aim at what's beyond the tomb. It tells me that my dash can be sacrificed for my brother or sister's dash. In fact, if my dash is getting better, but theirs is destitute, and I do nothing about it, I don't have the love of God in me, and therefore I cannot be assured that my destination has changed from the tomb. We know that our destination has changed because we see the evidence that we, of how we are traveling on that journey, and it's changed radically, and that change tells us that the destination has changed as well. The the resurrection changes how we travel because this new destination gives us a unique superpower. Did you know you have a unique superpower? If you're a believer in Jesus, you have a unique superpower. Does anybody want to know what their unique superpower is? A couple of you? See me later, I'll tell you what. That unique superpower is. No, does anyone want to know what it is? Okay. We're invincible. We're invincible. Paul tells us that in Romans chapter 8, later in that same chapter we were looking at earlier. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or even sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Can these things separate us from the love of God? No! In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now all those things... Hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. 
We face death all day long. Sheep to be slaughtered. All those things surely mean death. That, that they threaten our very existence. They, they cause us to feel like lambs to the slaughter. And it's if, as Paul is saying, well, yeah, they are all that. Except. Except what? Well, they're all that except that you're still on the train headed for life. The train of the love of God in Christ. And none of these things can take you off the train. You're still going to get there. They can't take you off. So we're invincible. Die all you want on the train. You're getting to life. We, we no longer have to, to live. See, this change is not only how we process things, but, but it's what we do. We, we live in love, but it's what we don't do. We no longer have to live in anger because of the setbacks in life. See, when, when my destination is death, every setback I get angry about because it just means I'm getting closer to death and nothing's working and it's all going there. It's Murphy's Law, if you will. But we don't have to be angry when we are afflicted. The afflictions are merely obstacles that will be defeated, inevitably have to be defeated. John not only says that we know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another, he also says that if we hate our brother, we do not have life. Hatred, which grew out of anger, is why Cain killed Abel. So murder comes from hatred, hatred comes from anger. We don't have to be angry. We love instead of being angry at our brother and sister. Why? Because we see the value of what's taking place in transforming. Because we've passed from death to life. Because the destination of our lives is done in about face in the resurrection of Jesus. We have no reason to be angry. Therefore, we have no reason to hate. I don't have to be angry because whatever has afflicted me is producing good. Not death. Life, not death. Death, but life. I'll still go through the the death, but life. Because we know how to forgive one another, what, what was once a dysfunctional family with such broken relationships that were beyond repair, now because of forgiveness, even those relationships can be restored and transformed and made new. It changes everything about how we travel. I just want to make a, a couple of closing comments. Paul said this to the Corinthians in chapter 15, For as in Adam all die... So in Christ all will be made alive. That's really a a summary of everything I've said this morning. As in Adam all die. We're born on that train. In Adam all die. And through trust in Christ, we are joined with Him. And in Christ, all will be made alive. Have you changed destinations? Or does your life navigation system still have the program code for death? Is it still programmed to death? Have you, have you had the, coal, the code altered? There's only one way to change destinations. Why? Well, because only one person died and was raised. You show me a second one who died and was raised, then we'll have an alternative, possibly. At most, that could be possible. But until that happens, there's only one option. Everyone else lands in the tomb. But Christ has been raised.
There's only one train going to life. We must be joined with Jesus Christ in his death and his burial and his resurrection. Then your sins are forgiven, for they are nailed to the cross. Then the spirit that raised Christ from the dead will dwell in you. And when he does, he is constantly working to bring life even in your body. That one that is still subject to death. It's going to have life working in it. If you're a believer, how has this destination, this changed destination of life in Jesus that came because of his resurrection, how has it changed how you travel? It should transform everything. This Easter, Christ is calling us to consider how the resurrection has changed or in some cases maybe hasn't changed. And that should concern us, that destination. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, open our eyes, give us light. The only hope, the only reality that gives us any hope is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Lord, help us cling to that and live in light of that today. In Jesus' name, amen.